Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. I'm Erlon Woods. I'm Nigel Poor. We're the hosts and creators of Ear Hustle from PRX's Radiotopia. Ear Hustle is a show about life inside prison, but it's not your typical prison podcast. In this next season, we've got stories about the objects people keep inside their prison cells. About residents in a women's prison who say they want to stay there. And the most beautiful prison garden. Erlon, I will never forget it. Ear Hustle. Stories about life on the inside told by those who live it. Find Ear Hustle wherever you get your podcasts. From WABE in Atlanta, welcome to this Friday edition of Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. Coming up in a moment, Georgia Congresswoman Nakima Williams joins me. Now, she's introduced legislation to help restore what she calls certain neighborhoods and communities that were interrupted or displaced by a lot of these late 1950 highway projects. We'll tell you more about that. And later in the program, the Atlanta Public Schools will offer a summer academic program to help students and get them ready for the fall semester. We'll learn more about the Academic Recovery Academy. But first, some major news from the White House. White House Senior Advisor Andrew Slavitt delivered this earlier today during the coronavirus task force briefing. Today, we reached a major milestone on the number of Americans who are fully vaccinated. Today, 100 million Americans are fully vaccinated, nearly double the 55 million who were fully vaccinated at the end of March. That's 100 million, nearly 40 percent of all adult Americans who are now fully vaccinated with protection from COVID-19 two weeks after getting their last shot. That's 100 million Americans with a sense of relief and peace of mind, knowing that after a long and hard year, they're protected from the virus, knowing their decision to get vaccinated protects not just themselves, but also protects their families, their friends, and their communities. Well, here in Georgia... Georgia has hit sort of a milestone of its own. More than 6 million COVID-19 vaccines have now been administered. That's about 25% of Georgians now are fully vaccinated. Still, public health officials are stressing Americans need two doses of the Pfizer and Moderna vaccines to be fully protected from the virus. New data from the CDC shows more than 5 million Americans have missed their second dose of the Pfizer or Moderna vaccine. That's about 8% of the population. They say people who missed their second shot are encouraged to seek an appointment through the Georgia Department of Public Health. Now, here in Atlanta, there will be uh, another opportunity to get the COVID-19 vaccine this weekend. The Morehouse School of Medicine will provide doses for members of the Latino and Hispanic community through the school's medical mobile unit. So now, pay attention. Vaccines will be available at the Mexican Consulate in Brookhaven from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. And there will be bilingual medical staff available on site to help as well. And if we have more information on our website about this, too. So night right now here in Georgia, we have just about a thousand new cases were recorded yesterday. So this brings the total number of cases confirmed since last year. This is where Georgia now stands, folks. Eight hundred seventy eight thousand eight hundred and twenty seven. And that's according to the Georgia Department of Public Health. And there is a warning. I'm about to use some sports cliches. Finally, with the fourth pick in the 2021 NFL Draft, the Atlanta Falcons select Kyle Pitts, 
Tight end, Florida. He's outstanding. He is. Welcome to Atlanta, Kyle Pitts, and you made history. Pitts becomes the highest drafted player at his tight end position in the modern draft era. The now former Florida Gator will help bolster the Atlanta Falcons receiving core. How good is he? Just ask Grace Walker's Bulldogs because he used to torch all all over the field, didn't he, Grace? (laughs) NFL teams will open training camp in July. Welcome to Atlanta, Kyle. This is Closer Look. You're listening to 90.1 WABE, and we're taking a quick break from Closer Look to let you know this is the final day of our spring member drive, which means it's so important we hear from you right now. Now, when you donate, it's your way of saying how much you value the information you get every day here on Closer Look. So please do your part and give at wabe.org donate. Hello, everyone. I am Rose Scott, joined by John Haas our director of radio and television. Hi, Rose. And yes, today is the very last day of the spring member drive, which means it's also the last day to get in on our Audi giveaway. If you're a sustaining member of WABE, yes, you're already in on this drawing. But if you're not a sustainer, well, here's another great reason to become a member right now, because you could win the Audi Win Your Wheels sweepstakes. Please take a moment to give. $10 a month is a great way to start. Go to wabe.org slash donate. Thank you. That's kind of cool. Your support is critical because 84% of our funding comes from this community. Hey, here's a listener to tell you why she donates to WABE. My name is Heather Honeycutt. I live in Alpharetta, Georgia. There's certainly programs I turn on like, oh, that's not the shoe for my foot today. You know, I just, that's not something I'm interested in, but that doesn't mean someone else isn't interested in it. And it's, I think it's good to have variety. I, I think it's good to get things that don't always just affirm what you listen to, but things that also can inform. I think it does a good job of reflecting like, the community. Ah, thank you so much, Heather. That is our goal here on Closer Look. That's true. On WABE, there's always something new to learn, right? New to understand or appreciate. That's because as a public radio station, our purpose is to communicate, inform, and engage. Not to sell, not to convince, or reflect. Listener support keeps WABE independent. But that means listeners like you need to be like Heather and support this public service. Make your choice to give today at wabe.org slash donate Or call 678-553-9090. And as always, thank you so much. Right now, we're asking you to think about all the ways that WABE helps your life. And let those reasons you listen be the reasons you give. We inform you. We inspire you. We educate you. We entertain you. And for that, how about 33 cents a day? That's $10 a month. We suggest this amount because it seems to be a comfortable level for most new members. But let me ask, have you been meaning to give? Have you heard these member drives and you know that you've wanted to help out but just didn't find the time? We understand procrastination is rampant in the journalism world. We're used to working on deadlines, but we want you right now to stop procrastinating. If you've been meaning to become a WABE member, please do it right now at wabe.org slash donate. That's wabe.org slash donate. Thanks.
When you give to WABE, we'd like to send you a gift in return. How about one that can help improve short-term memory and is also fun? It's the brand new WABE Jigsaw Puzzle, featuring the Forever Isle of Atlanta design by India Nabarro. The powerful stories you hear on WABE are sustained by you, so please give and pick up the brand new WABE Jigsaw Puzzle at wabe.org slash donate or call 678-553-9090. Thank you. Yes, thank you. This is your last chance to donate during Closer Look. It's also the last day of the WABE Spring Member Drive and your last chance to support great arts and cultural programming as well as fact-based journalism. And when you donate today, your name will automatically be entered into our Audi Win Your Wheels sweepstakes. I cannot enter, sadly. We want to thank everyone who's already become a WAB member throughout this drive. But now we need you to join them. And I do mean now, because the member drive ends today. Please go to wabe.org slash donate. It only takes a few minutes. Thank you so much. Support for WABE's news coverage on affordable housing comes from Lowe's Home Improvement. With 30 stores and more than 6,000 associates in Metro Atlanta, Lowe's is working toward affordable housing solutions for the Atlanta area. More at Lowe's.com. When you give to WABE right now on the last day of the member drive, you'll be in on a chance to win a new Audi for a year from Audi Atlanta. Go to WABE.org Audi to learn more and donate. Thanks. Most people, if they pull a brick from the bottom of the pile and get buried by a ton of bricks, they learn a valuable lesson. Others, they get up and yank another brick. Next Snap Judgment, metal. Snap Judgment, storytelling with the beat. Do not miss it. Saturday afternoon at 3 on 90.1 WABE. Closer Look continues now here on 90.1 WABE. This is Atlanta's Choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. There's a lot of history in our nation, and often an examination of history is needed to maybe correct the past or improve the future. The Restoring Neighborhoods and Strengthening Communities Act, as Georgia Congresswoman Nakima Williams sees it, is an example. And Congresswoman Williams joins me now. Welcome. Thanks for taking the time. I really appreciate it. 
Thank you for having me, Rose. This is an important conversation that I'm always ready to have. Well, let's talk about that. And for folks that may not be familiar, at the core of this is, and and we want to be clear, is the 1956 Federal Aid Highway Act. Uh, For our listeners that may not be familiar with that, tell them what it is and why this is so important to this legislation that you're introducing. So, Rose, when the 1956 Federal Highway Act was introduced and implemented across the country, you would think that highways were put in just um, where space was available. But there was some intentionality of highways being put in the middle of Black communities, Black neighborhoods, thriving Black businesses were closed, and we created some of the results that we see now in the racial wealth gap, especially here in Atlanta, where the racial wealth gap is worse than it is anywhere else in the country. And so it is my goal as a part of the United States Congress representing Atlanta and Georgia's 5th Congressional District to not only make sure that moving forward we're doing the right thing, but we have to correct some of the inequities that were created by decisions of the federal government. And when we look at I-20 and I-7585, the way that they were implemented and built throughout our city we see some of the impacts. And so neighborhoods like Summer Hill Mm -hmm. down at the south of I-20 were cut off from the rest of the city. Um, The Sweet Auburn area and Auburn Avenue was kind of split down the middle. And you have an interstate that goes straight through the middle of thriving Black neighborhoods and Black businesses. And so if we are truly going to build back better, like our president Joe Biden has said, then we have to address the inequities that were caused by the federal government by things that we did in the past. Congresswoman Williams, what's your response to someone that says, are you saying that then the projects that were built after this act, after this legislation back in 1956, were intentionally intentionally developed to segregate or to disrupt black and brown communities? There was some intentionality to it, Rose, absolutely. And we have to name that. We have to accept it. That's not where we are now. And we need to make sure that we address the wrongs of the past. And I, we have an obligation as the federal government to name the wrongs that we've done in the past in our country so that we can move forward and address them and make sure that we are not just moving forward and saying, okay, well, where do we go from here? But how do we make sure that we are addressing these wrongs by creating things like the Reconnecting Neighborhood and Communities Act and making sure that we have land grants in place and some places they're even taking up urban highways Mm -hmm. to create green space and create job centers for people that live in the neighborhoods that were disconnected in the past. How do you determine what is the criteria to be used to determine which communities, which neighborhoods? Because I imagine every city, particularly every urban metropolis could say, well, this is us. This is part of, we were a part of that. We were a victim of that. So I've been working with a group um, called Third Way and Transformation for America, and they've done extensive studies in multiple urban areas. And you you're right. There are a lot of cities that would that this would apply to. And so it's going to take some time and sorting sorting it out to prioritize on where we move first and where people have the greatest needs. But we there's been research done and even to the point to realize what was intentional and what wasn't, we have research to point to that. And so we, right now, President Biden has included um, 
$15 billion in his current infrastructure plan to address this. And it is a priority of the current um, transportation secretary, Secretary Pete Buttigieg. So I've been in conversation with him. I've been in conversation with the administration and we are going to move forward to make sure that we are truly addressing addressing the inequities of our past. If you just join us, I'm speaking with Georgia Democratic Congresswoman Nakima Williams, and we're talking about the Restoring Neighborhoods and Strengthening Communities Act. Let's talk about this then, because it, some folks will say, well, so are you talking about in terms of righting the wrong with this funding? What would it look like? You mentioned green spaces, you mentioned community centers, but in your in through your lens, what would that look like? Let's say, for example, a community over here in Atlanta. You mentioned Summer Hill, and I think we all know the history about Peyton. What would that look like? So in some areas, Rose, that looks like actually taking up the physical um, highways that are there. And in some areas, that means using the money that is set aside for land trust to Um, build businesses, but the community benefits from the wealth that is coming back from that so that businesses are able to be um, to community, people who live in the community are able to start businesses and build wealth and all of the funds that are on the, that is made from the community land grants from people coming into the neighborhoods, the community would benefit from that. So, but we want to do this in coordination with each neighborhood so that we are no longer moving forward and putting things in, in, in people's neighborhood without the community's input and getting communities what they want and need moving forward. And we did not see that in the 1956 Federal Highway Act. Neighborhoods were truly destroyed and divided by highways. And it's unfortunate that the federal government did that, regardless of what the community's input was. And a lot of it was quite intentional on where they were going and who they were going to impact. You of all folks know the importance of when it comes to listening to the community, when it comes to community benefits, how do you ensure that? And whose role will it be to, one, engage the community, take back what their desires and needs are, and then implement that with the funding that you all are going to hopefully have for these neighborhoods? Who will be, I guess, for lack of a better word, the facilitator in all this? Will you ensure that? So I plan to be a huge part of this, but we're going to be working with the um, Secretary of Transportation. And this is a priority from the administration. And so there will be a lot of attention on these projects that are happening across the country. And I am in conversation with some other members of Congress who are looking to partner and highlight some of the inequities that were also caused in their cities. And so we are looking forward to having this conversation because a lot of communities where people who live there now don't even realize that this was actually done by the federal government with intentionality. And so that's where we're going to start the conversations on the congressional level. But then we are looking forward to having the White House and having Secretary Buttigieg's team being involved in this as this is a major priority for the administration. And so you are looking to make sure that whatever these solutions are, will benefit the needs, the greater needs for the people, those those most important needs. That is So, that. Rose, I center every decision that I make in the United States Congress by centering those most marginalized in the decision-making process. And so I look at this no different, and that's why I am proud to be the lead sponsor of this legislation and see this through and make sure that our communities are getting what they need. Now, from the conversation 
to introducing the legislation. Let's talk about bipartisan support here. And that's been something that has been a little, little, little touch and go <laughs> of late. But will you have the support you need for this? So this is a part of a highway um, a surface reauthorization program and something that goes through Congress every year. Mm-hmm. And it is not a standalone. It'll be a part of the of a major um, initiative from the White House. And so this bill will become law and we will see this implemented. I'm confident of that. I don't know which Republicans are planning to vote for this or not, but um, what we have seen is that Republicans even during the joint address, when addressing cutting child poverty in half, it wasn't something that they were willing to to clap for. And so I, I don't know what the Republicans might do, but I know that I'm moving forward to rep- with representing my communities. And I'm confident that we'll get this legislation passed. But, you know, and you you knew before you became a congresswoman that often when you have legislation like this, which packs a lot and often when it comes to negotiating and reaching across the aisle, sometimes things get gutted. Provisions get gutted. You, that, is that a concern for you? Are you, are you willing to compromise on anything to get some of this? Um, there are some things that we can look at on how this actually moves forward, but on the general provision of making sure that we are addressing the inequities of our past and what was done intentionally in some of our black communities, no, I'm not willing to compromise on that. What it looks like in implementation, I can continue to have conversations about that. What's your response to someone says this also seems like some sort of reparations for particular communities? Is that a fair assessment? So I, I think reparations can take many forms, and this is a way of righting some of the wrongs of our past. That's what reparations is about. It's about acknowledging that the federal government or that our country had a role in some of the systemic issues that we're seeing today in many of our communities, especially in the black community. And how do we make sure that we accept that, acknowledge it and find a way to right the wrongs? So absolutely. And this is not something that I am shying away from because we have to address these issues if we truly want to move forward and make sure that we are not just getting us back to where we were pre-pandemic, but how do we make sure that we're addressing some of the systemic issues like the racial wealth gap that Mm -hmm. continues to plague us in this country. And this is one of the ways that we can do that, Rose. And finally, before I I let you go, before we say goodbye, a milestone as uh, revealed by the White House today, 100 million Americans, adults, fully vaccinated. Did you think we could get here so soon? I did not think it would happen this soon, but we have been moving at warp speed, Rose, since I got sworn in just four months ago, and it has been nonstop. This administration has shown us, and I think surprised quite a few, that they are willing to be bold and visionary and make sure that we are truly working for the people and not being coddled by artificial boundaries and limits. And we are truly making sure that everybody is being represented as we move forward and all of the decisions that are being made from the White House down to the congressional level. And I am proud to be a part of this work representing our district. In these first 100 days, is there something that you would wish maybe President Biden could have went ahead and got got you all working on in Congress or are you okay? How do you assess his first 100 days? I think his first 100 days has been wildly successful. Are there other things that I would like to see have been completed? 
Absolutely. Like the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act. Mm-hmm. We passed it on the House side um, and now it sits in the United States Senate. And I wish there was something that we could do on the administrative level to make sure that we are not seeing black people continuing to die at the hands of police. And we need to have police accountability. Yes, we saw that the results in the George Floyd case were what we should see in every case, but it shouldn't have to have those as the evidence recorded on video and the entire world to be pushing back against for us to get justice in one case. This should be the norm across the country. And we need to make sure that we figure out how do we get the Senate to act on this? How do we act on voting rights? Right now, I am still confident that we will get H.R. 1 and H.R. 4 passed, the For the People Act and the John Lewis Voting Rights Act passed through the United States Senate. But I wish there was something that could have been done on the executive level. And then student loans. People are still hurting, myself included, at the just the enormous amount of student loans, especially that is carried in the black community. And that also contributes to the racial wealth gap in this country. So those are three of the top priorities that I wish could have been addressed in the first 100 days. But there's still so much work to come. So I'm confident that we will get it done. I want to ask you about the Emmett Till Anti-Lynching Act. Where is that? Is, is it possible that you think, and obviously during your time as a congresswoman or in this administration, that that legislation will come back around, that it will be passed? So, Rose, in the House right now, we are willing to take bold and visionary steps. But as you've seen, all of the things that we've passed are just sitting in the Senate. Mm -hmm. waiting for action. And unfortunately, right now, the United States Senate is allowing an arbitrary rule around the filibuster to get in the way of passing legislation that American people want to see passed. And so we need to address the filibuster. How do we make sure that we are doing the work of the people and not letting a rule get in the way of actually passing legislation? So I am confident that all of these bills could pass the United States House of Representatives, but it's how is the Senate going to move forward? Do you have some friends over there, some Republican senators, friends over there you can talk to? I can't tell you that I do have any Republican friends in the Senate, Rose. I'm still meeting my colleagues in the House, yet alone getting Republican friends in the Senate. Okay. I guess that answers that. But if you have some tips, I'm willing to talk to you. Oh, you don't want any tips from me. (laughs) Nobody (laughs) nobody wants to hear from me. Um, And I promise this is my last final question. You know there is an Atlanta mayoral race later this this year. Are you going to weigh in on that at all? I am not going to weigh in, Rose. I am still the chairwoman of the Democratic Party of Georgia. And the Democratic Party only weighs in on races if there is um, only if there is not more than one Democrat in the race. And right now, I know at least three Democrats that are running our incumbent mayor, Keisha Lance Bottoms, um, our current city council president, Felicia Moore, Mm -hmm. and Atlanta attorney, Sharon Gay, Mm -hmm. all um, proud Democrats running. And so the Democratic Party of Georgia will um, not be involved in this race. You won't have any conversations because you would have to work with Mayor Bottoms on some things as it relates to needs for this district here in Atlanta. What's your relationship like with Mayor Bottoms? Just curious. So, so far, I have not met with Mayor Bottoms um, during my time in Congress, but I've met with people in the city that are a part of her team. And we are moving forward to make sure that the city of Atlanta gets what they need as a part of 
the the bold and visionary work that we're doing right now in Congress. Bold and visionary. You said that about 14 times. That's your new going forward. Those are your two go to words. Bold Rose, and visionary. I am. I mean, <laughs> I was I sat there watching the joint address that I never thought that I would hear some of the things that I worked for on the state level and pushing for. I had a bill just to have schools um, water tested for lead to mm-hmm. make sure that our, we knew exactly what our children were drinking. And I couldn't even get a hearing on that on the state level. And now President Biden is replacing lead pipes in all of our schools across the country. And so that is the type of bold leadership that I can get behind. Republicans call it radical, but it's life changing. And then I hear things like 12 weeks of paid family leave, Mm -hmm. something that I saved up my leave time for like vacation time when I'm preparing to have my son who's now five years old because I didn't have paid 12 paid leave weeks of leave. And now that's going to be the norm in this country. We're going to catch up with countries across the world who've been doing this forever. And so I this is the type of bold and visionary leadership that I can get behind. Georgia Congresswoman Nakima Williams, thank you so much for taking time. I really appreciate it. Good conversation. Come on back. Thank you, Rose. Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. You can go beyond giving to impact. Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly, and Richmond Graduate University can equip you with everything you need as a licensed professional counselor while integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. That's R-I-C-H-M-O-N-T dot E-D-U. And Closer Look continues now here on 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. I'm Rose Scott. How about this? When first revealed, Atlanta's Beltline was called an an ambitious project, a 22-mile multi-use loop connecting the city of Atlanta via trails, pathways, and all other sorts. Also, the idea of light rail was envisioned. Fast forward, it's 2021. Yes, a lot has been completed regarding the Beltline, but there's still more to to be done. And there are some various socioeconomic issues tied in as well, housing, transit and mobility, and of course, jobs. Now, you might remember back way, what was it, two years ago, it seemed like a long time ago, for our award-winning series, Gridlock, What's Moving Atlanta, I caught up with then newly named Beltline President and CEO Clyde Higgs on a portion that was still under construction. This was way back behind the Ansley Golf Course overlooking I-85. Transit is absolutely important to the Beltline reaching the full vision of what we're supposed to do. And so we got to remind people that that's important. And that also fits into the affordability discussion that we're having as well. So what if you have the opportunity to pull a vehicle expense out of someone's household because they can access transit along the Beltline within the, the full city of Atlanta? And so that's important to us. We'll see if it still is. How close is all of this to being completed by 2030, the initial projected date? And how's the funding revenue? Well, Clyde Higgs joins me again, this time via Zoom, for a conversation about a new measure approved by the Atlanta City Council. So we'll talk about all of that. Clyde Higgs, welcome. Good to see you again. It's been a couple of years. Can you believe it? It's been two years. 
Wow. Yeah. Time flies. Time flies. Uh, good to be with you again. Let's, different circumstance, yeah. different circumstance, but, well, uh, but good to be with you. Well, since the time that you've been on board here, uh, how do you feel about the progress that's been made so far? And let's just get this out of the way. 2030, is that still the projected date for this Beltline to be completed. It it is it a- absolutely is. So I will just tell you how I feel. You know, honestly, when you think about the the Beltline project, it it really is a collection of individuals and and organizations within the city of Atlanta to really help advance this project forward. And what I've seen over the last two years or so since I've been in this uh, this role is just again community stepping up making sure their voice is heard and helping us to advance this this project. So so I just continue just to be honored to be in this role to, to help uh, lead this project forward. And uh, so really some good stuff uh, in front of us, behind us. We still have a lot of work uh, to, to do, but from a Beltline Trail perspective, we absolutely see uh, 2030 uh, as the completion date. Th- there is a scenario even, Rose, that we believe that we might be able to finish uh, even before the, the end of 2030. Well, I noticed you said from a Beltline Trail completion. Is that, is that for us? I mean, you said that specifically for that portion because someone listening says, well, tell me approximately how much of this trail has been completed at this point. 75%, 80%. What's left to do? We know that the west side portion of the trail officially opened this, uh, what, last week, I think it was. Is that true? Yeah, that, that was the, the west side connector trail. And so that, that was a really interesting opportunity for us. So, so that west side connector trail of the Beltline will be an opportunity for literally the Beltline to connect into downtown Atlanta. Uh, so that was a partnership with the PATH Foundation, Atlanta Beltline Partnership, to make that happen. Uh, but you may remember roughly two and a half years ago, uh, the Beltline was able to acquire uh, a significant piece of, of land that allows the Beltline from the West Side Trail to connect into downtown Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And so we opened officially segments one and two uh, of that part of the, the Beltline Uh, again, about two weeks ago. And so really excited about that, just providing that connectivity, but just from a ratio perspective and what we've done. So when we describe the Beltline and the 22 mile loop, Mm -hmm. uh, we have completed roughly seven miles of mainline Beltline trail. And uh, and so we have roughly another 15 miles to complete uh, by the end of 2030. And you feel confident that's going to happen? I'm pretty confident, Rose, that that's going to happen again. <laughs> that's a slow answer, a scenario that we. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> no. I, I, I honestly feel confident that there is a scenario, Rose. I think we will complete even before uh, the end of 2030. That that's how good I feel about it. There is a really good plan in place to to make that happen. Let's talk about that because does that confidence come from the fact that now, in terms of funding, with this special service district. Uh, that that's why you have more confidence in it now. There was reports that the Beltline was, there was no money coming in or money was running out. You want to clear all this up for our listeners in terms of where you stand right now with being able to have the funding in place throughout 2030 and what this special service district is all about. Sure. 
Sure, sure. So, you know, before the special survey, and I have to, to really give a, a nod to city council, and again, with the support of the mayor, getting the special service district advance, again, roughly two weeks ago. Uh, if you had asked me, you know, the same question before the SSD vote, I would tell you that the, the Beltline Trail, the 22-mile loop, we would not have finished by the end of 2030. And so now with the SSD in place, uh, we have for the first time ever, clear line of sight to getting the Beltline Trail, the 22 mile loop uh, completed by 2030 or, or before uh, 2030. And so th this is game changing uh, for us. So we, we anticipate $100 million from the Beltline SSD, $100 million from my budget, and then also $100 million from the philanthropic community so, to support the rest of the build out. This is, again, this is game changing uh, for us. And this is going to be another one of those pieces when the historians write about the development of the city of Atlanta, that significant vote is going to be a part of that conversation. And I imagine the historians will also write that, listen, there was an increase in property taxes for certain dwellings, commercial and, and multifamily properties near the Beltline path. Um, you have concerns that that might impact the, now look, let's be fair. We're talking about if a property appraised at a million dollars would pay an additional tax per year, correct? That, that That's, that's correct. Okay. Do you have any concerns? That, that, that is correct. Okay. Do you have concerns of this having an impact on small businesses along the way as well, or or anyone along along this this path that says, well, you know, property taxes are going to increase, maybe not for all, but for some. That is correct, and so I, I will tell you, you know, a tax in general, you know, that that is not the uh, the most uh, um, fun way to to get anything done. You know, who wants to pay uh, extra taxes? But this whole SSD uh, conversation was one that was born uh, from uh, a lot of the property owners saying, like, Clyde, when is the Beltline going to get to our part of town? And because right now, you know, we're making progress, but you'll see a half mile here, half mile there. And, and again, a survey that was done under my predecessor, you know, provided some really good information. And it suggested that, the, you know, over 80% of the people thought the Beltline was a great project. It was worthy of public funding. Um, but we had two blemishes underneath that, uh, that survey. The, the first was, you know, make sure you're getting in front of, of affordable housing. Mm -hmm. And the second blemish there was the, the perception that it takes so long to, to build the Beltline. And so, so that perception was then pushed by the property owner to say, what can we do to help I get the belt line, you know, fully completed. And you told and them so we, we're going to raise your property SSD, tax. And they said, oh, okay. You know, for, for the most part, people were willing to, for the, for the amount of taxes that they would pay and the benefit that they would receive, they just thought the return on investment uh, was well worth uh, the cost that they would pay. Because mm -hmm. you, you have examples of properties uh, businesses in, mm -hmm. in this SSD that would pay roughly, you know, an, an additional $19 a month mm -hmm. is for, for some of those uh, property tax increases. And then you have uh, bigger organizations like Amley 
you know, their property taxes are going to increase, you know, somewhere around $30,000 a month. And so, so just from, from an equity perspective, it, it is balanced. Sure. And, uh, and so for the smaller businesses, uh, for, for the smaller property owners, it is sized for, for their value. And for, for the larger property owners, it's sized for, for their value as well. Now, Clyde, is there more land that you all need to acquire? Because I was reading about some uh, talks to buy maybe about 31 acres near Bankhead, that, that community. Give us the latest on that. Yeah, so so that uh, if you think about the Beltline loop, so we roughly control uh, about uh, 80% of the land that we need to, to use to close the entire uh, Beltline loop. Mm-hmm. So as we advance this project, we do have uh, acquisitions that we need to, to make uh, to complete the, the 22 mile loop. So that that is a part of the process. You know, from an acquisition perspective and things that you probably have read about, you may remember earlier this year, we secured a site uh, in Buckhead. And in that site, in partnership with Wells Fargo and the Beltline Partnership, uh, that is going to be a site for, for housing affordability. Mm-hmm. And uh, you also may have read uh, late 2020, we secured a nine acre site from the state of Georgia. And that will be another significant site for housing affordability and job creation. And so, so from an acquisition perspective, that is really important to us because we want to create these additional nodes around the 22 mile loop mm-hmm. that will hope will help us to push some of our promises to community from a job creation perspective and an affordable housing uh, perspective as well. Clyde, before we wrap up, let's talk about light rail. How likely will light rail be part of Atlanta's Beltline? It, it is absolutely um, going to, to happen. So you may remember the voters in late 2016 uh, advance a measure that's going to generate uh, over $3 billion uh, for for transit uh, within the city of Atlanta. Mm-hmm. And, and almost a, a billion of those dollars are going to be dedicated to, to Beltline uh, transit. And so we continue to work with, uh, with MARTA and the city of Atlanta to advance that. And uh, so it is absolutely still a part of our DNA. It's an important piece uh, of the Beltline vision. And so it is absolutely a part of, of what we're going to to advance. It's a part of it, but can you take that a little further? Because I received emails and people have asked me, and where are you going to put it? How will light rail actually work on the Beltline? It's crowded as it is. As one, someone emailed me, where, where in the world are you going to put, how will this work? Yeah, so we actually have enough corridors. If you think about the the width of the Beltline and the corridor that we actually uh, control, so it, it is uh, as wide as a hundred uh, feet, you know, from from either side. So you actually have uh, definitely enough room to advance uh, light rail in the corridor. Uh, the Beltline Trail itself is roughly 14 feet wide. Mm-hmm. And so, again, if you have 80 to 100 feet, you definitely have uh, space for uh, for a light rail uh, car uh, in the in the corridor. And it would it would include the entire 22 mile loop. Is that what you're saying? That that is correct. 
That is correct. I can't that wait is, to see this, also, Clyde, because I got to be honest, I, I'm trying to paint the picture in my mind. It's it's kind of hard, but I trust absolutely. you. I, no, I guess it, it was. Remember, yeah, it, remember, it was hard for people to even imagine a 14 foot wide, <laughs> wide path in the back of their, their business. And, you know, let's be honest. There were people in the early days to say, hey, I don't want people, you know, walking behind my business. And you or fast forward to today. You see a lot of those businesses that have, you know, switched their front door to yeah, the belt line. Yeah. Because so, so again, it was hard for people to imagine that it got proved out, and I think they'll do the same thing with transit as well. I want to give you an opportunity to really take the time in the two minutes, three minutes we have here to talk about this affordable housing piece um, because we hear it. I mean, and Clyde, you know this. We've right. had this this conversation. People right. say, "Oh, yeah, there's going to be affordable housing." You say it, and then all of a sudden, affordable housing, depending on whom you ask and where it's located, you know, $2,200 a month for a one-bedroom is not affordable for a lot of people. What does this affordable piece look like for you? Yeah, this is something, again, you know, over the last 30 months, we have been very focused on and being consistent with with the mayor's uh, one Atlanta plan. And uh, so those examples that I talked about a little bit earlier, as far as acquiring sites. Mm -hmm. So what we are trying to do is position the city of Atlanta to be successful on the affordable housing uh, front from a long-term perspective. And so when I mentioned the acquisition of the site uh, in Buckhead, or when I mentioned the acquisition of the site in Oakland City, Adair Park area, what that is going to allow us to do, Rose, is have deeper and long-term possibly uh, permanent affordability uh, in key Beltline neighborhoods. And so, so folks that are not well-versed in the affordable housing speak, this, this is a, cre- a key piece. And so when we talk about 80% of area median income, you know, clearly the need is to go deeper. So meaning 60% of AMI mm-hmm. and 50% of AMI and below. And if you look at our pipeline right now, the majority of the units that we have in our pipeline, which is roughly about 900 uh, affordable units, the majority of those are at 60% uh, of AMI and below. And then when you control the land, when you own the land, then you can dictate if that is going to be for 20 years, 30 years, Mm -hmm. 40 years, or perhaps for forever in in perpetuity. And so what we're doing is setting up a really strong foundation that is going to, again, exact uh, affordable housing uh, along the belt line and again and controlling the land is the key part of that is there any is there a need for any more business development through through your lens on the belt line maybe on the west side i imagine it, it is and and that is a growing department within our organization it's economic development so mm-hmm. we want to make sure that we are propping up uh, our small business community, because we want them to grow specifically on the, the belt line. And this SSD mechanism is going to allow us to have uh, additional funds to support our small business community. So we're excited about that piece. All right. I can't wait to get back out there with you and walk the belt line. Atlanta belt line president and CEO Clyde Higgs, as always, I appreciate you taking the time. Keep us posted and we'll stay on top of this. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Rose. Thank you. 
And that's it for this edition of Closer Look, which is produced by Grace Walker and LaShawn Hudson. Our engineer is Kevin Rinker. If you missed any of today's program, it's always online at wabe.org slash closer look. Make sure you stay tuned to 90.1 WABE, Atlanta's choice for NPR. As always, I'm Rose Scott. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. The Gold Dome Scramble podcast is now plugged in, a WABE politics podcast. New name, same on-the-ground reporting from us, WABE politics reporters Sam Greenglass and Raul Bally. We'll cover local, state, and national politics as we talk to politicians and voters to break down each week's biggest headlines. New episodes drop on Fridays. Listen and subscribe at WABE.org or your favorite podcast platform. WABE.